Welcome to Stories from Palestine podcast. This is episode 2 of season 2. I hope that you enjoyed last week's visit to the Palestine Museum of Natural History. And for this week's episode about Sufism in Palestine, I have a short personal introduction. In 2007 and 2008, I was volunteering and living in Beit Sahur, close to Bethlehem. And I received an email from my mother's cousin. And I didn't know him. He said he lived in the United States with his wife and with five adult children. And that he had just been to the Netherlands to visit his mother in the hospital. And when he was visiting the hospital, he met my mom. And they started talking about their lives and about their children. And she told him that she had one daughter who was staying in Bethlehem at the time. And then he told my mother that he had actually gotten married in Bethlehem. So he told me this story that he, coming from a Catholic family, started to explore different religions and then he moved to Jerusalem to learn more about Sufism. And that's where he found himself in Sufism. And there he met his wife, who was from a Jewish family, and she was also learning about Sufism. And they, yeah, they both found themselves in Sufism, they got married in Bethlehem, and then they moved to the United States. They had five children, and they are all around my age. And then he wrote me that they were regularly coming to Jerusalem to visit friends and family, and he asked me if I would like to meet them if they came. And of course I did. I mean, all of a sudden I found a part of my family that I didn't even knew existed. So they came, and I hosted them in my apartment for a couple of days, and we got to know each other, and it was really wonderful. They played Sufi music for me and my friends, and they form an ensemble where they play music. Uh, she plays the sas, and he plays the daf, or the drums. They sing together. So since that first meeting, we have met each other several times, both in the Netherlands and in Palestine, and they even were at our wedding in 2013. And it was funny because I know that some people in the village who were looking at that foreigner wife who was marrying into the Alayan family. And then knowing that my uncle and aunt were Muslims really helped a little bit in my acceptance, let's say. The last time that they were here was two years ago, and they performed in our Singer Café. And that was on the same day as we had organized a vegan sushi event with Isaldin Bukhari. He runs the Sacred Cuisine. That's when I found out that they knew him as a younger boy. They had met him and they knew his father because his father was an important Sufi sheikh from the Naqshbandi order. So that was an amazing day, as you can imagine. And now I'm really grateful that Isadine had the time to record an episode with me and my uncle and aunt sent me some of their songs. So in this episode, you will also hear some of their Sufi music. I 
I'm very happy today that uh, I'm going to speak with my friend Izzedine, whom I've known for quite a while now, and who just recently helped our family in picking our olives in our garden. Good. And while we were picking olives, we spoke about so many different things. So I said, Izzedine, I need you for at least three or four podcast episodes. And today, our first time, we're going to speak about Sufism. Thank you really for taking the time. We're at the beginning of a new lockdown mm -hmm. and uh, we just heard that the coming weeks we're going to stay inside the house. So I'm really happy that you could make time for me. Hello, hello, Chris. How are you doing, Izzedine? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be on your podcast. And uh, as you mentioned, we talked about doing different uh, episodes and I'm so excited to start uh, with the Sufism. I've heard several people who asked me, Crystal, we have certain uh, requests for the podcast and especially Sufism came up with people because it's something that it seems in the Western world is becoming more popular topic. Recently, I've seen a lot of people sharing quotes, for example, by Rumi. And so it seems that even in the Western world, Sufism is, yeah, is starting to become more important. So why I'm asking you, Isidin, is because you are from a Sufi family in Jerusalem in the, in the old city. Correct. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your connection to Sufism? I'm Izzeldin uh, Abdelaziz Bukhari, born in the old city of Jerusalem, Palestine. And uh, my family actually moved from Bukhara, Uzbekistan, to Jerusalem old city in the 1616, about 400 years ago. Wow. And the reason for my family moving to the old city of Jerusalem to open and establish a Sufi center, Naqshabandi, a Sufi center. So me and my family, we've been born and we still in the same center of the Naqshabandi in the old city of Jerusalem. For people who don't know anything about Sufism, what is Sufism? Is Sufism a stream of Islam or is it something completely different? Uh, yeah, Sufism is a, it's a stemming from Islam and it is like uh, the Sunni. It just have a different uh, philosophy, which is basically adding more the aspect of the worshipping coming from love, not to duty, and also the meditation aspect, which we call the dhikr. These two aspects, what make the Sufism a little bit different from the normal Muslim Sunni person. But it is not different or another branch. Even though there is a different type of uh, Sufism and some come from the Sunni and some come from the Shi'i. So it creates a different range of uh, Sufis and their ideology but it is actually part of uh, the Islam, the Sunni. And from which time do we have to think? When did it start? Okay, so for example, from the perspective of the Naqshbandi, the Sufism, it is started from the Prophet Muhammad himself. When he was uh, fleeing from Quraysh, where they were trying to capture him, and he was with his friend Abu Bakr, and they were hiding in a cave. And when they were hiding in a cave, the people from Quraysh, they were looking for them and they came on the front of the cave. And in front of the cave, there was a vision which laid some eggs and a spider which he create a web. So the spider 
and the vision soon as the prophet entered the cave with Abu Bakr, they laid the eggs and made the whip. So when the it is what it was like a protection from the god. So when the people of Quraysh reach the gate, they look at the whip and they see the egg and and they see the vision, and they didn't think they will be in the cave. So Abu Bakr, he was like they are very close. He's telling the Prophet Muhammad that they are very close, and if they just look, they will see us. And uh, Prophet Muhammad, he answered him and he told him, لا تقلق فإن الله معنا فأذكر الله Which means, don't worry, God with us, just أذكر الله, mention God's name. From this, it dhikr, the word dhikr was created for when you mention the name of God. So, so dhikr as a word it means mentioning the creator ah. and this is the idea how you bring him in your presence and how you grace and give thoughts about the creator through mentioning him that's why in islam there is 99 names of god which is are basically the characters of different side of the god such as the mercy or the giver the creator uh, these 99 names are basically what are used in the zikr to make the meditation. For example, when the Naqshbandi, which is my family, uh, uh, what they are teaching, the Naqshbandi order, when they do meditation, they take one name of the God, such as, for example, Avahim, and they will say it, and cipher it about 33 times or 99 times. This is basic core of the meditation, is taking different character of God name and mention it. And as you mention it, you are dwelling on the meaning, on the behavior, on the understanding, and into connecting into, into God the grace. And would you do that on your own, or would you do that in a group? The idea of a Sufi Basically, you are carrying this meditation practice with you as you go. So if you are standing in the line, if you are on the checkpoint, if you are in the moment where you are not occupied, so you take the time and mention and do the dhikr, which is uh, as a way to connect. But also as a part of the dhikr and as part of uh, the meditation and sufism is what we call halaqat the circles of the dhikr the meditation basically circles and this is when a group come together to perform the meditation you have the sheikh which he lead the meditation session <laughs> In relation to Sufism, I've been seeing these whirling dervishes. And always, I think, in the West, we associate that with Sufism. Is that something that exactly. you you do also here in Jerusalem? You know, Al-Rumi, Jalal al-Din Rumi, 
they have a zawiya in the old city of Jerusalem, which is now actually a school. Uh, and actually, in the old city of Jerusalem, there is more than 70 zawiya. Zawiya is a basically a meditation house. Zawiya in Arabic means a corner. And basically, it represents the house, the guest houses in the old cities of Jerusalem, uh, next to Al-Aqsa Mosque, to be next uh, to, to the holy place to host the pilgrims and to host the worshippers who come from outside to do their pilgrim. So, for example, we are from Uzbekistan. So, anybody who comes from Bukhara, anybody coming from Uzbekistan, they know automatically there is a Zawiya from that region which will host them and give them a space and a place to stay and give them food uh, to sustain their visit uh, during uh, their pilgrim or visiting to the to the holy jerusalem so these areas they were scattered around the old city of jerusalem and actually if you want to take a more deep look at it they presented the embassies at that time their duties were almost as same as representing where they're coming from, what they have to offer, from teaching, from uh, a different aspect, and also being part uh, of the community. Mm. And this is what the main role these Zawiyas play. And these Zawiyas, they created the fabric of her spirituality between different Muslims in the Holy Land of Jerusalem. So you got the Indian Zawiya, the Indian hospice, you got the Afghani Zawiya, you got the Naqshabandi, which is the Bukhari Zawiya, the Qadri, the Mawlawi, Alawi. And all of them, they were teaching different form of meditation. And actually, this is where it is very interesting, because in Sufism, the idea and the ideology was created from the idea from the Prophet Telling people, if you want to get peace, just mention God's name. If you are angry, mention God's name. If there is something happening, you cannot do something about it, mention God's name. And just to bring in the consciousness, this presence, that no matter what happened in this world, there is a bigger power than what it is. And this is where we should direct our energy to to get the peace and to get the, the ability to maintain the situation and continue to be, to believe in this high power so this is was the philosophy and the idea but the tariqa and the different zawiya and the different different sufi orders came to life as a fact of different student of spirituality different what we call murid Mm. Uh, Murid is a person who took on himself a specific path to be his lifestyle. So when there is a Sufi Murid, he go to a teacher of Sufi that he choose and he resonate and he follow this path and he follow the teaching completely and he devote himself to the Sufism. So these uh, these murid at the beginning they were carrying the idea of mentioning the god and keeping his presence. Their path and their achievement basically came the Sufi order. For example, when we take a look at Jalal al-Din Rumi, Jalal al-Din Rumi, he came up with this 
what we call whirling. Some people think it's dancing. It's kind of in between. Uh, but he came up with this practice by himself, by actually following the flow. And the state of flow, it is very important in the Sufism, such as meditation and different, uh, and different spiritual uh, practices. Wow, the state of flow. I had an interview with a Palestinian musician who mentioned something like that when he was playing music. He said, when I'm playing the Oud, I reach the flow state. And he talked to me about feeling as if he's doing a meditation when he was playing his instrument. So that's the same thing you're mentioning now. Exactly. Actually, that's why if you look in Sufism, there is a lot of instrument. And actually meditation and music go hand in hand because they help you to connect with the frequency, to elevate and to tune to a higher energy which is full of creativity, which is a bring on you the flow, which is as you are practicing it, you are acknowledging and understanding that it is nothing than more. You are being the instrument and you are receiving this energy. And this is the outcome. And this is the state in Sufism that state. They try to help uh, people through different uh, practices, through different methods to be in this state because it's believed this is the state of awaken, to be living in the moment and be aware of the presence of now and everything around you and to build a harmonious understanding with it. Is it then when you grew up in a family that is Sufi religious, do you feel that it was a big part of your upbringing? And also, how did you relate to other maybe kids around you or in the school who maybe were not Sufi? You know, there is a different aspect of to answer this question. Uh, I want to go a little bit more in general uh, aspect. Uh, Sufism, it is right now dying from, from the word. And actually, to be more accurate, it's dying more of the, in the Arab world. The reason for it, politic, because before the Wahhabi, as a politic mind state of the Islamic nation, there was the Sufi. And when the Wahhabi took over, the Wahhabi approach of extremism and considering Sufism and music are haram. And this create a new revolution, which is, it took the Sufis from the eyes of looked at as holy people and to associate them with the craziness uh, and even like, like hippies. And this idea, it became uh, very strong that Sufism were looked at as not exactly Muslim but they are more into playing music dancing and such and this is very important change that's happened into the Islamic world which is start to disvalue the culture and it bring up extremism as the true practice of uh, of the Islamic nation by associating these tradition and culture into basically having fun and not worshipping. Mm -hmm. And this is what 
help to switch the Islamic word from being normal Muslim to be more extreme. And actually, I want to mention like an example for this. There was a picture in the Dome of the Rock in the 50s, and the picture was a group of women around 20, not even one of them wore a hijab. They had scarf, eh? you mean hijab? Yeah, they didn't have a scarf. And when I saw the picture, I was shocked. I couldn't believe this is was happening in in Al-Aqsa Dome of the Rock at that time. And this is just to show you how much things change. And it is not in a way to discourage wearing hijab or a scarf. It is, it, this is not the point. The point, there was a freedom for people to do what they want and everybody was living in a harmonious mm. way. Now, if you want to bring a group of women and take a picture of Palestinian women, Muslim women, take a picture in the old city, in the Dome of the Rock, it will be on the news. Yeah. Mm. And this is, this is show you what, uh, I see it me personally growing up as a Sufi. I see where, where the change happened and how it divert and how I understand and see it is very important in the politic, uh, this aspect and why they worked on it so hard to get us to this point. You see this as a deliberate move? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it is very clear that all these radical groups and uh, like the biggest example, Osama bin Laden, you know, Osama bin Laden for sure. And uh, Osama bin Laden as a, as a Muslim uh, uh, revolutionary, he was uh, one of the people who are pushing extremism on the Islamic world, but he have a tide with the United States of America. He had, uh, he worked with the CIA and there was an article in the 1990. I don't remember in which uh, newspaper it was published, but something like a New York Times, something like this. But this article was embracing Osama bin Laden as a freedom fighter fighting the Russians and saving the Islamic world. So there is, uh, it is, it is very clear, uh, in, in nowadays and we know that how even before Saudi Arabia and even before Muhammad bin Salman and even before all this politic escalated, uh, all these politic, they took aside and worked openly with the United States. We know there is a, a big connection. And the question is why a radical Islamic leader have a connection with United States and, uh, and the CIA. So this is, this is show you example how these people were funded heavily to be able to proceed with their agenda and to radicalize the Islam and to bring this image and to associate fighting for freedom only with violence and only with the cruelty and only with extremism. That must be hard for you as a Sufi to to see that basically the beauty of your religion is in this sense disappearing or people are looking at your religion in a negative way. Well, for you, it is uh, maybe the core of life. Or I don't know if it still is because you grew up in this family, but... In how far 
Sufism is for you important until now in your life? Uh, you know, this is, will answer the question about uh, me growing up as a, as, a, as a Sufi and as a Palestinian in the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, I grew up to a family where our center was very active. Our grandfathers, they hold very important positions such as the judge of the Islamic court, having many association with the different events happening in the city, especially as far as spirituality and, uh, and uh, Islam. And the family history is full of events and the stories and growing up uh, when my father he was also Sufi Sheikh he traveled the world to speak about uh, Sufism and our house was basically a guest house for people from all over the world coming want to know about Sufism and my dad lived in the United States for 20 years he speaks very good English and he was able to communicate the message so I grew up in the house that's always was visited from people from around the world which they want to know about Sufism so it was for me at that time it was a duty it was basically taking care of the guests to show them around uh, do do some tasks and it, it was not easy you know so it was uh, more of a duty it was not fun for me to grow up uh, in, in in the family where it is always we have guests it was fun it was exhausting especially when you are a kid you want to play yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the more I start to grow and actually this is this is actually a very interesting story and uh, i'm very thankful for this experience because it helped me to shape me who of who i am today uh, but my family put me in islamic school in al-aqsa mosque and i was going from the seventh grade till the 12th grade till tawjih basically to islamic school very special islamic school inside al-aqsa mosque we learned from five subjects to seven subjects per year about Islam next to the academic subjects. So it was intense teaching about Islam. And uh, for me personally, my experience, I love to learn. I love to, I love knowledge. And I love questions because if you love knowledge, you always uh, need to ask, answer your, the question that's come up in your head. But, uh, uh, when I was studying at the school, I had many questions, but I was faced with, uh, like almost you cannot ask a question, especially when it's get to more sophisticated or any questioning, uh, things about God and Allah and such. So it was, uh, completely shut down for me to learn and to to be able to comprehend the islamic teaching as uh, something spiritual it was uh, it was showing to me through the teaching it was just about obeying and i didn't like that so i was not really interested uh, anymore in the teaching and i was want to look more into things that i resonate with but actually what was more funny is when i went to live in the united states uh, i was uh, surprised and shocked to see that people are really into uh, the roomy 
uh, and into Sufism. And when people knew that I was a Sufi, they really were want to talk to me, and I was starting to see that the Rumi in specific and his teaching are very popular. So I start to read it uh, myself, and I start to review Sufism again mm. from. Uh, from a person who grew up in a, in a Sufi house and uh, to to a person who lived and went to the West, uh, like United States, and uh, and have a different uh, experience in life. Uh, so I took it from uh, more of uh, another another fresh look, let's say, uh, on the subject. And uh, what I start to see is exactly what what I was thinking. That's God is completely about love god is not about punishment and fear and uh and all these things which make you do it out of fear so i start to really get more interesting and look look deeper and when uh when i was reading one of the books uh from the Rumi, i don't remember which one but it was very interesting he was talking about his own experience and how sufism was a philosophy and uh, and himself taking the teaching and the philosophy and resonate with himself and see where it take him uh, he became a Sufi a teacher he was mentioning that he didn't even intend to be a Sufi teacher and people followed him <laughs> just because the beauty was shining yeah. at that point so there was uh, no escape so uh, uh, understand this aspect it really resonate with me big time and it gave me a birth from a new as a sufi to be like okay i understand the philosophy what to stand for i know who i am i know what's my roots but there is a big part of it me as a person taking these things and then what can i do with it this is what sufism it is not just learning to do meditation is having this life and understanding you are an instrument and you are over here if you tune your instrument you will be able to receive amazing gifts mm. from the universe from god from allah it sounds similar to what i hear some of my friends who are maybe more spiritual and do a lot of meditations and talk about mindfulness they say similar things so it's it seems that there is a lot of uh, overlap maybe in the in the way of thinking or experiencing the life absolutely uh living in the united states i was really into a lot of the spirituality i was trying to in get introduced to different uh, uh spiritual way techniques and always i found similarity in the idea and in the ideology and even in the practices and it is like this it's like if there is a story that's a person has now this story can be in one language till it reach other areas where they have a different words to describe this story now this story will carry its, its essence but it will get adapted to different words different way of pronouncing to take its shape so this is how i look at it a spirituality there is different 
different civilization, different people, different students, different marids who tuned in. And this is their own understanding and their own shade and color from what they took from this experience and what they put together. And for example, you know, sacred geometry. Sacred geometry is one of the things got me very, very entreated about how art is a big part of the creation and and art and artistic approach in a creation it's on its highness and finest than one life like in reincarnation for example or in development of the soul or something like this actually in sufism uh, it's believed that we as souls take uh, steps in the growth so our soul will go through different lives to gain experience and to form consciousness and it is baby steps as we are born into small body we are a crawl at the end then we start to walk it is the same idea that's consciousness it gradually growing and in sufism it believe that's different part of the life that we take from a bird to animal to another to a human to different uh, life form we have to do this circulation to be able to to accumulate and calculate life consciousness and experience before we are able to reach to be in a human body a human consider one of uh, the high form of god creation on earth that he give us this power of wealth but before as a soul to get this power of will we have to go through a training wheels that will help us how to survive how to understand how to sustain ourselves how to protect ourselves then we are gradually grown to be in a human form to be in a human form is one of the way that you got granted access and you achieve certain consciousness to be able to to become a human in the spiritual aspect that's mean your soul did a lot to reach to this point as a human but of course this subject can be very wide and can have different point of view on it but this is uh, this is like from some of the teaching does that mean that in sufism there is no concept of heaven and hell You know this is a very sensitive subject to kind of like uh, to put our hand on it but the idea of sufism 
is to basically be in the moment, <laughs> to mm -hmm. be in this life and to focus on this and to do our best. And no matter what happens next, it's all part of the flow. It is all part of the creation. And actually Islam, this is where it is very interesting. This is where Sufism, you know, it is more, that's how I see Sufism. It is like a magnifier on Islam as far as the spirituality aspect. Where is the spirituality in Islam? Sufism will bring it all and highlight it. Because in Islam, to be a Muslim as a term, which is basically to surrender yourself completely. and That's the meaning of the word Muslim, is to surrender. Yeah. So, like when when someone uh, when someone come with you with a gun, they ask you to sell me halik, sellem halak. So this is where the idea and the ideology of what Muslim is. It is in the term to surrender yourself completely from attachment, from fear, from love, from everything by understanding that you are here, part of this creation and part of this life, and you are just a vessel. And this is the whole idea of uh, being a Muslim. And this is why in our culture it is very embedded and it is very strong in our consciousness when we say, inshallah, you know, and when we say that we are not afraid of anything except Allah. It is this teaching that the Islam they're trying to teach you that's not to worry about anything and to be a marshal basically who are not affected by anything because you understand that there is a higher power above all this and you are just part of this life as a soul. Hey, and is it in today in in Palestine in general and maybe specifically in Jerusalem like, do you have any idea how many people are really practicing Sufism? And is the youth interested in this now more or less than before? You know, as, as far as the youth, they are more interesting a lot than before. But as far how many Sufi practices, there is one Zawiya in the old city of Jerusalem from Sivani, huh? <laughs> one Zawiya, which is a practice and they do meditation circle which is, they are actually our neighbor, Al-Qadri, Avani Zawiya. And they do every Sunday and every Thursday. And the amount of uh, people who come to do meditation on the regular, you can say from 20 to 50. But the community, you know, say uh, 500, uh, 300, uh, who are entreated by this idea and they come for big celebration and such but definitely it is very slim amount and number of what it used to yeah. be and for example you know like our zawiya it functioned for 300 years continuously which mean holding meditation every week uh, having all the islamic uh, festival happening from isra and miraj the birth of the prophet muhammad and such and actually, every Thursday, they will do a zikr meditation circle. And after this, they will cook bilaf, which is Bukhari rice, what, you, what we call it today. It's like makluba, but with carrots instead of other vegetables. And it is a very famous dish of Bukhara. And this is, was the tradition in our center. That's every Thursday, there is a meditation, which is 
the neighborhood come, the community, and after this, everybody eat together the Bukhari rice. And this is continued for 300. Now, this is another aspect which is show you another side of, of the logistic of the life in the old city and how it did change as far as culture. Our center, as many other centers, they will receive monthly food from the Tkiye. The Tkiye, which is a center still established till today and still function till today in the old city of Jerusalem, which give food to the hungry people and give food to all the community, spiritual, academic uh, schools, they will supply them with food. So our center, for example, we will receive the food to cook for our guests and host them. And we will receive funds from different people to help us sustain the center. The center was huge. It's a center established of like a small clinic, a library, a mosque. Even we have our own cemetery. We had three wells of water, a meeting room, about 10 rooms for hosting guests and many other facilities. So it was a huge property and it took a lot of work to maintain it. So these centers were functioning by the donation that they received from the Uthman Empire at the time and from the food from other Islamic figures or institutions. And after the fall of the Uthman Empire, Jordan took for a short turn over and instantly there was taxes on this property there was no donation and there was no food. So the Zawiyas, they went from be able to sustain themselves by donation and uh, by food from the Uthman Empire to actually not having anything, but you have also to pay taxes on the oh, property. Yeah. And after this, the British and uh, now uh, Israel, and this is what push all these centers to shut down and not to be able to sustain themselves and uh, to support themselves. We were recently studying in the Bible College for the tour guide program. We were studying the Haram al-Sharif, Dome of the Rock, Kibli Mosque. I now understand that you have to call the whole area is Al-Aqsa Mosque. And then you have the mosque with the gray dome is the Kibli Mosque. And the Dome of the Rock is the one with the Golden Dome. And then there is a lot of buildings around it. And I think that's what you're referring to, that were schools, madrasa, madaris, and zawiyas, and places where people would learn and study and have these kind of meetings. And many of them, as I learned now, are, yeah, they are now for other purposes, for institutions, for a museum, or people are living there. So it seems that what you're saying is, yeah, that's happening, is that their original function is had to be changed because they couldn't sustain it. Exactly. You know, there is Imam al-Ghazali. Imam al-Ghazali, he is a very interesting figure, have actually a very interesting story. Imam al-Ghazali, as a character, he was full of knowledge from the beginning. And he was a teacher for spirituality and, and Islam. But he got to the point where his ego took over. And he started to believe that he, as a person, he's very intelligent and very smart. And he started to get into this ego. So with time, what started to happen, that he will go on stages. 
He will go to speak to the people. He will go to teach and nothing will come out. The words won't come out. So this is start to happen to him. Then he start to realize it is actually something happening with him. And he knew that his ego took over and he was far from being uh, more genuine with uh, his knowledge receiving. It's really interesting because it means that if you are not really genuinely inspired, you just can't speak. Yeah, that's why, you know, commercialism, uh, it is, uh, it's an aspect which show you how you can take the essence of something and you can turn it into a joke because you are not being genuine. You're just focusing on a, on a specific uh, target. Mm-hmm. For Imam al-Ghazali in his, uh, in his condition, he realized he had to do a change, but he was very famous. He was very respected. He was married with kids and, uh, and he decided to leave. And when everybody asked him, he was like, where are you leaving? He was like, I'm going to Mecca, to Saudi Arabia. So he left, but he actually came to Jerusalem into Al-Aqsa Mosque and he stayed in one of the rooms uh, in Al-Aqsa Mosque area. And it's known till today the Imam Ghazali room. And he came over here because he know people will go to look for him. So they will go to Saudi Arabia. So he just want to hide and he want to be isolated. And he want to re-establish his connection with knowledge and God without ego interfere. And in this period, he wrote many important books and very high sophisticated at that time as far philosophy rules different aspect even spirituality and he wrote so much that they give him a nickname after this period which is called the hujjat of islam the proof of islam which like he hold the title like he is the proof of there is a islam mm-hmm. what's that teaching of islam can teach this person, at a certain point when he came to Jerusalem, he he found there is, uh, I'm not sure what the exact number, maybe 300 or 500, I'm not sure of the number, but he found that amount of numbers of his schools were teaching Islamic studies, and he was saying that it is devastating. There is not enough schools to teach, and he was saying how knowledge is getting lost in uh, Jerusalem, the old city. This is uh, to emphasize how many schools, how many teaching, and not just in the Islamic and Sufism, you know, from all over the world, you have every branch of religion, every branch of spirituality, every branch of history. They have to come to Jerusalem and learn and to be part of that holy land because Many things happen in this holy land, which is can shed light on many aspects of life. Thank you, Isadine. It's really interesting. And I wonder if um, there's any listeners, people who are listening to this podcast, who have further questions or who maybe in the future want to visit Jerusalem and would want to know more about Sufism in Jerusalem. Are you available for answering questions or taking people around? I mean, yeah, we can arrange it. I I love to share my culture and I love to to share what I know. So absolutely, they can contact me on uh, the Sacred Cuisine at Gmail. I will send you the address so you include it in the link, and I will be more than happy. Yeah, I will add that into the podcast description and on the website. And when you mention now Sacred Cuisine, 
I think that's going to be our next uh, podcast episode because uh, can you quickly tell people what you do in life? Absolutely. I'm a chef. I love to cook and I focus on the storytelling of the food and I focus on the Somi food, the vegetarian vegan food in our culture. And uh, this is why it's called Sacred Cuisine because I'm entwining my life experience, my interest and putting it into one thing to talk about the Palestinian food, the history, the richness and our culture. And more we will talk about it in the episode. Yeah, yeah. We will talk about it in another episode. And I will post links so that people can already take a look at your Instagram account and your Facebook and see what you do with Sacred Cuisine. Thank you very much. It was very interesting and inspiring. And I feel that I, uh, I you, you later on, you need to give me some reading tips because I want to know more about Sufism. I think it's much more appealing to me than any other religion that I've known <laughs> about so far. So thank you. It's really an eye opener. Truly my pleasure. There's so much to say and uh, I try to squeeze as much as I can. But yeah, we can, uh, I can share with you some we'll more. We'll talk more. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Have a great night. Thank you very much. Thank Chris. you. Bye bye. enjoyed listening to this episode. If you want to know more about Sufism, there are many books to read and videos to watch. I posted a selection on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. On the website and in the show notes, you can also find the links to the social media accounts of the podcast, if you want to follow on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube. As usual, at the end of the podcast, I say that I'm very much helped with the support of listeners on the Kofi platform, where you can buy me a coffee or a falafel sandwich. The link is in the show notes and on the website. And I can already tell you that next week's episode is a guided city walk through Beit Safafa, the town where I live, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So if you love history, cultural heritage, and if you miss traveling... Then join us for that virtual tour. Have a blessed week. <laughs>